Let's look to the Lord in prayer. So, Father, we're continuing now this study, and it's meant to be personalized, in a sense, congregationalized, now in the second of the three services. Asking that you fill this setting with your presence with an intense awareness of who you are, of what Christ has done. He took on the curse and gives us the blessing. So, Father, these minutes are important. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. Can now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and Him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Adrian Hazlitt seems to be front and center in, in New England because the Boston Globe tells us an incredible story that continues to unfold. That Adrian, I know where is Adi, Adrian Hazlitt, the dancer who lost a leg in the Boston Marathon bombings and became a symbol of resiliency, endured hours of surgery this past week after getting hit by a car over the weekend. In the back bay, and now faces a lengthy recovery, according to a friend and unconfidant. Well, a friend, famed long-distance swimmer and journalist, Diana Nyad, she went on Instagram to post Aslett's medical status, tell us how she's doing. Uh, she was taken to Boston Medical, where on Wednesday she was in fair condition. Yesterday, in the very same hospital of her amputation, after the 2013 bombing, Adrian went through hours of surgery, or by the med team, inserted a number of plates and screws into her shattered left shoulder and elbow, I had wrote. She's now listed in fair condition at the time of the Instagram and so on. Well, the Boston Globe goes on to describe this remarkable woman. I don't know if I'm clear to run yet this year, 2019, Hazlitt wrote. But until then, my head is staying in the game. Don't you love that? All these losses, and she's keeping her head in the game. She also posted a photo of herself smiling in the hospital bed, making a heart with her hands. In reference to the Heartbreak Hill Running Company, the team she's been training with. So now we've got a 2013 bombing where her leg is amputated and she's been a gifted dancer. And now, start of a new year, she's hit by a car in Boston. And now she's having plates inserted. And the natural question is going to be, why me? So this morning, if you've ever grappled with the why me, what I want to do is to build off of last week now and draw out still two more tension points. You can listen to last week's teaching online. Build off of that with this. 
And out of verse 13 down through verse 19, start with me by, as we consider this tension of God and suffering now, note furthermore the, the unexpected losses that we, you and I, we experience in life. And what I want to do now with you is to draw out four significant losses that Job experiences. And somewhere in your life journey, it's very possible you've experienced loss. And I want you to deal with it the way the Scriptures would have you deal with it. First loss emerges out of verse, out of verse 13 down through 15. But we've got we to start off with it. Now there was a day, but this is no ordinary day. This is another birthday, and this is a celebration. Once again, the family is gathered together. The evil one seems to be very conscious of time, and so he, he strikes when it seems to be most strategic. There was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. This is what they did on birthdays. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of togetherness. It was a time of tradition. You have that happening in your life? Well, now, in verse 14, you and I are told there came a messenger to Job. And notice now how we are going to start italicizing. There came a messenger to Job. doesn't say there came a comforter to Job, that there came a counselor to Job, that there came a physician to Job, uh, that there came a business associate to Job. There came a messenger to Job. And what does he say? The oxen were plowing, weren't they? The donkeys feeding beside them. You hit the pause button. And you say, well, that, isn't that what verse 3 was all about? He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He's going to go after the 500s to start with. Watch how it expands and intensifies. Plowing, donkeys feeding beside the oxen. Sabaeans come. Now, that is a group of people, terrorist organization, if you will, in the time period of the Genesis account, you see, uh, from Arabia. And as they sweep in and fall down upon them, they, they take and strike down the servants with the edge of the sword. Now notice that this is his, his workforce. Not only is he losing then his, his financial resources, he's also losing then all the people who work for him. Uh, you're going to continuously see human loss in these four losses. Sabaeans fell from Arabia, uh, took them, struck down the servants, the edge of the sword, and now notice how this gets bookended. Again, it's italicized. I alone have escaped to console you, now, this is, this is a guy high on information and low on consolation. Uh, I alone have escaped to tell you. Ever had somebody deliver bad news with no sense of empathy? Just matter-of-factness 
in your life experience? Now, a couple more thoughts at this point. There seems to be an absence of players here, aren't there? Isn't there? God's not mentioned. But then again, Satan's not mentioned. Now, the pundits on the 6, 9, 11 o'clock news and us are going to be processing that the greatest man in the East has just experienced a significant loss and his stock has plummeted. But they're going to have naturalistic viewpoints rather than a supernaturalistic viewpoint. They lack the cosmic, but the believers here in all these services, they understand if you're going to interpret the events that are unfolding globally, nationally, locally, personally, you can't separate the cosmic from, from the earth. You can't separate the eternal from the temporal. No mention in, in verses 13 through 15 of Satan, isn't it? Interesting. But again, in screw tape letters, where the senior devil is mentoring a junior devil, C.S. Lewis has, has some same idea of wormwood. I, I wonder, you should ask me whether it's essential to keep the patient in ignorance of your own existence. Speaking of Satan's existence, keeping people ignorant of it. That question, at least for the present phase of the struggle, has been answered for us by the high command. Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. In other words, to conceal the reasons why things are bad in this world. Of course, this has not always been so. We are really faced with a cruel dilemma. When the humans disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism. And we make no magicians. But on the other hand, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics. So the evil realm's in a quandary. But Trevor Lawrence isn't in a quandary. Now, Trevor Lawrence is the freshman quarterback for Clemson, for those who were watching the national championship. And now that's, that's a football team to be watching for years to come because of the number of underclassmen on that roster. But when being interviewed, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback of Clemson, said, just putting my identity in what Christ says, who he thinks I am and who I know that he says I am. That's a verse one type thinking. Trevor Lawrence understands his identity is not based upon what he has. It's based upon who he is in relationship to the Lord. If your identity is based upon what you have and you lose what you have, then you don't have an identity. You have an identity crisis. But if your identity is not in what you have, but in who you are in Christ, you can lose the blessings of grace, but you can't lose the grace. You've got Jesus. 
So now this is incredible here at this point. Job's processing. And maybe along the way you've had to process. In the midst of whatever loss you have experienced, you've got to continuously remind yourself theologically, God is sovereign. Evil is not. God's purposes are often unknown. He owes us no explanations, but we owe him our trust. Well, this fellow is speaking. He says, I alone have escaped to tell you, but before he can finish his sentence, there's a second loss. Look at verse 16. While he was yet speaking, there came another. Notice the italics on the screen. There came another and said, The fire of God from heaven burned up the sheep and the servants, once again servants, his workforce, consumed them. Now you go back and now we're up to 7,000. He possessed 7,000 sheep. It's escalating. Burned up the sheep, the servants consumed. And now notice, once again, it's italicized. I alone have escaped to tell you. Years ago, the Argentine tennis pro, Guillermo Villas, I think he won a Grand Slam. He's being interviewed, and he was... Uh, Renowned throughout Argentina. He's at the zenith of his career. But when being interviewed, he said, fervently, I think that many times one feels oneself to be secure and suddenly one's world falls down like a pack of cards in a matter of seconds. That's exactly what's happening here, you see, to Job. And maybe as you look at your life experience, somewhere along the way, you felt like that was happening to you. But then you refresh yourself with that great theology of the Westminster Confession. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence. And then what you remind yourself of is that God's will has a directive will associated to it, but also a permissive will associated to it. And God permitted the evil one to do this, but restricted the evil one in doing this. The evil one focuses attention on verses 2 through 5 and goes after one opportunity for loss after another, but he doesn't take aim at verse 1 and the four distinctives of Job. God's got Job covered. Your identity is not based upon what you have. Your identity is based upon who you are. You take a deep breath, and now you're ready then for the next, because it's coming at you. It's coming at you in verse 17. While he was yet speaking, there came another. This time we're told it's the Chaldeans. Who are they? 
precursor to the Babylonians in the Old Testament time period. Well, they formed three groups, so evidently this was a well-organized terrorist attack. Bear in mind, Job was described in the earlier verses as the greatest in the East. Ample resources. Go after a pivotal figure in that region, and then watch the cards begin to topple, fall, if you will. Chaldeans formed three groups, made a raid on the camels, took them, struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. Notice the italics. I alone have escaped to tell you. So this time, the raid is on the camels. And you look back to verse 3. He possessed 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. Now, what senior pastors do for therapy on Sunday afternoons is that they watch football. And so I'm tracking with the Eagles playing the Bears last Sunday afternoon. I'm watching carefully Nick Foles, who's playing hurt, admiring the man, he's going to, if he desires to become a pastor, which he's talked about, he's going to be greatly used by God. They take a commercial break, and maybe some of you are watching the game, because if you're a Christian, you're watching the game. As you were watching the game, and it was commercial break, lo and behold, there's this Geico commercial that kicks in, and there's this camel. Remember it? He was wreaking havoc as he was walking through this office complex. Um, now, Job's having a Geico moment here. He's got, he's got camels. And here's Job now, who thought at one point in time that Geico was a good commercial for his life. But all of a sudden, he finds that some Chaldeans, precursors to the Babylonians, have developed a terrorist strategy, if you will, invaded his turf, and now for the third time, what you and I spot is that there is a significant loss that unfolds. The Chaldeans formed three groups, made a raid on the camels, took them, once again struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and as you're doing with each of these losses, you're bookending the beginning and the ending of the phrasing. The beginning, there came another. The ending, I alone have escaped. Not to console you. Not to comfort you. To tell you. Now, it's intensifying. We've increased in numbers when it comes to the resources. We're not told why. We're just told what. God reveals enough to make our faith intelligent. God conceals enough to allow our faith to grow. Understanding why Understanding why the loss is less significant than entrusting the one who helps you heal. Bear in mind, these attacks are still upon what Job has, not who Job is. 
Job's got to embrace the fact, you see, that he can't make the temporal eternal. You can't take what you could lose and make it last. Elizabeth Elliot understands that, now with Jesus. Rush Chandler, in the book The Overcomers, tells the story of outstanding believers and how they manage the losses of life. Chandler tells us that Elizabeth, who first went to South America to do translation work in 1952, mentioned three experiences of loss in their first year of working with a small tribe, a small tribe of Indians called the Colorados. The first loss was the murder of the informant who was giving her the information about the language and the culture of the Colorados. The second loss was the loss of all the work Elizabeth did that year. Everything that she had compiled was stolen. No copies remain. The third loss, Jim, her husband, was reconstructing a small jungle mission station among the Indians, and during a sudden flood one night, all the buildings she had rebuilt, plus three new ones, were swept down the Amazon River. But all of this, in essence, those three losses were preparatory for the climactic loss, her fourth loss, when her husband would be martyred. Now, these prior losses, the three of them, are preparatory for what comes next. Because you're tracking with me in your text. And now you're up to verses 18 and 19. We're in the fourth loss. Notice this guy. He still hasn't gotten done speaking. There came another against italicized. He said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Of course, it's birthday time. It's celebration time. I'm going to be praying for them. I'm going to be, I'm going to be sacrificing for them. When all of a sudden you are told, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. Notice the evil one has timed this timed it for the time of a birthday when all the family members were together except for Job and his wife fell upon the young people they're dead and I alone have escaped to tell you and what stands out in these four significant losses so far that after that cosmic rendezvous in which God and Satan discussed, debated Job's case, we no longer see the evil one. But the naturalistic worldview, naturalistic lens through which the newscasters and the pundits in the land of us, not Oz, Dorothy would correct you on that one, you see. What they fail to take into account is that their naturalistic worldview is not big enough, wide enough, large enough to be able to address the cosmic issues because the evil one is so focused on two through five, he has not taken into account the four qualities of verse one. He's missed the mark. 
You blew it. So he is now, so it seems at this moment, going to have to reload his artillery. So as you and I, as we consider the tension of God and suffering in this world, or for us personally, you know the unexpected losses we experience in life, and so many of us have, I have, you have. But I want to move from the unexpected losses of life here to the second of the two-point study of this morning, the understanding perspective we need in life. Not merely a perspective. We need an understanding perspective. Where we get it. We understand that God is sovereign, evil is not. We get it. We understand that humanity has fallen. There's sin that pervades this universe. We get it. You have got an authentic, accurate world view. It's not merely perspective. There's an understanding attached to your perspective. So what happens here with Job? Arose. Tore his robe. Typical of the Middle East when they're going through grieving. Fell on the ground. You can almost sense the entire cosmic audience leaning forward. What comes next? And worshipped. In the immediacy of ultimate loss, What comes first has enduring consequences. He worshipped. Screw tape letters. Older devil. Mentoring younger. Talking about the Christians they're targeting. And talking about God in relationship to the Christians and the sufferings of life. He, speaking of God, he's pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemies, that's God, our enemies will, looks round upon a universe in which every trace of him seems to be vanished, asks why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. The entire cosmic realm leans forward more for the first time Job speaks first words matter naked I came from my mother's womb he looks back 
Naked shall I return, he looks forward. He doesn't say, Elohim gave. He says, Yahweh, the Lord gave. He doesn't say, I earned it, and the Lord has taken it away. He understands who's owner. He understands who's manager. God is the owner of the blessings. We are the managers of the blessings. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, and you can almost sense now Satan is, this is the moment. Satan had said, you've blessed the work of his hands. Stretch out your hand, touch all he has. He will curse you. Here's the moment. The Lord gave. Now he bookends. The entire scope of time. The Lord has taken away. Not cursed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That ought to take your breath away. Indiana State Rep Tim Wesco is being interviewed. You see, his brother Charles was killed. In recent days, when gunfire struck the windshield of his car in Cameroon, his brother Charles, Charles' wife, and their eight children had just arrived in the nation as missionaries two weeks before the shooting. The Indiana newspapers were wondering what Tim Wesco, the rep, would say. Quote, he loved the Lord. He loved people. The Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You take a deep breath. Because the blessing and the curse is so pronounced in Scripture. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And you put all that together. And now you address the unexplained losses in life. The unexpected losses in life. With an understanding perspective about life. Because he's not merely your Elohim. He's your Yahweh. And he sent Jesus to take the curse so that you would have the blessing. As the worship team is coming forward, we're praying, Father, that we understand the significance from the beginning to the ends of time and that this is deep and rich, and this is practical and personal as well as political and global 
in all aspects of the word, the blessing, curse, tension of life. There's a tension not only between, between the blessing and the curse, but between the give and the take. What we've got to do is to move beyond the generic Elohim that was used by Satan to address you, Lord, to Yahweh, the personal God, and that we can have a relationship with you, personal, through Jesus, who provides the blessing while taking the curse. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.